Hi, everyone. Welcome to Metaphysical. Have you all out there heard of the Bridgewater Triangle? Well, if the Bermuda Triangle is the mother of all triangles, the Bridgewater Triangle is its ugly stepsister from Southie. This area of southeastern Massachusetts is home to literally every type of paranormal and esoteric activity you could think of. Spirits of the dead, UFOs, mysterious lights, creatures of legend, murder, and satanic cults. And you guys will be bringing you all of the strangest stories and evidence we could find in this four-part deep dive into the Bridgewater Triangle. And in this first part, we'll be starting with the history of wars in the area, Native American curses, why the Hockamock Swamp is stickier than it seems, and what really goes down in the Freetown Fall River State Forest. This show is going to be out of this world. And I just got to ask, are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast, or are you watching us on a video platform? Two different things there. Leave us a five-star review, whatever you're doing, okay? We can use that to reach more people. And make sure that you like and subscribe wherever you are. Appreciate it. John, how you doing? Good. Good. We got another triangle here. We got another We got another one. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think they're really triangles. They're not. They're, like, they're not. They're more they're like not. blobs. You know what, though? The... The Bridgewater blob. I think the Bermuda blob, it, the Bennington blob. It is a blob. Bees. Blob of paranormal activity, but coining it the the Bridgewater Triangle, I think has certainly helped get the information out there because it is a very one of the strangest areas that we've researched probably. And you know, for everybody looking at this map, if you if you look down there at the bottom left corner of the map where it says Warwick, Rhode Island. That actually is exactly where I grew up, that little, that little hook out over there in the water. And so I grew up very close to this area. Wait, um, were you a Southie? I was not from Southeast, but I went to school right now, Southie, in Boston, Massachusetts. Ah. Um, yeah, and, and I have to say, this, um, the stories of, of this uh, area definitely circulated in my hometown and there are their own the 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 strangeness in rhode island alone we could do a show on especially as it goes down to newport and stuff like that uh, but we are going to focus on on this area here today and um yeah it was really fun researching all of this just because it's so close to home for me well you can do you can do strangeness just on the culture there i mean yeah. why even go into paranormal <laughs> we'll just go to some bars Across the whole region. <laughs> it's my, that's kind of my favorite part actually about yeah. all of this is, uh, you know, John and I were having a long conversation about just how funny my people are <laughs> from where I grew up. Because in the Northeast, you know, I had a really hard time when I moved away from the Northeast, when I, when I went down to like Washington, DC, I, I lived there for a little while. I didn't understand the people. And when I went up to Boston, because I went to school in Boston, there was a lot of people from California. And I had a really hard time understanding right. them because there's this like unsaid rule in the Northeast where you mean what you say and you say what you mean. It doesn't even matter what you're saying as long as you're like just being direct about stuff. Right. And, and right. people in the West Coast are not really like that. It's a little different. No, they're you're, not. You're more I mean, calculated actually, about what you say. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I grew up on the West Coast, then I moved to New York for a while. And it was it was it was culture shock. Mm. I mean, it was serious culture shock. It it isn't it isn't even down to the point of of mean what you say and say what you mean. It's like even beyond that, where 
they often don't even care what they say. They just say it. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. To me, it was just like, whoa. Yeah, you don't do that in the West. No, you don't, you don't. Yeah, but but actually, like, the, what's great about that is generally you're you're getting how people really are, who people really are. There's no right. mystery to it. What you see is generally what you get, and people are going to tell you when they're angry at you, and that just doesn't yeah, happen. Which is all the time in New York City yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. Or, so it's yeah, all in the north going. in the Northeast in general, honestly, you know. But yeah. also people don't take things very seriously. You can get really angry with someone and everybody just shrugs it off over the next like couple of minutes and and it's fine, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. But the Bridgewater Triangle, things are not very fine there. <laughs> Except for the angry the, puck wudgies. <laughs> yeah, which we will be getting into. If you don't know what that term means, episode four of this, we'll be getting into the strange creatures that are seen over there. Um, and I'll tell you what, this this series is going to intensify as we go on. Uh, we're going to get into just generally what the Bridgewater Triangle is in this episode. Talk about a few cool things. Uh, next episode is going to be all the satanic cults that have been found in that area. The research revolved around that and serial killing and all of that stuff. Third is going to be UFO phenomena, strange phantom orbs, ghost trucks, hitchhikers, str like strange ghost hit hitchhikers. And then in the fourth final episode, we're going to get into cryptids and strange creatures that have been reported down there that no one can really explain. It's going to be fun. You know, there are tons and tons and tons of researchers out there focused on this area. In fact, I had heard the producer of the film, The Bridgewater Triangle, the documentary, that like yes. big one, I think came out in 2015 or something like that. Yeah. Um, in an interview, he said that literally about once a week, a podcast, a film, a video yes. comes out on the Bridgewater Triangle. He's, and he's, he's a little confounded by it. But it's got to be because of the population density over there and the easy access. Because as far as <clears throat> like videos go on, on YouTube, for instance, it's, it's, it's literally a place where people actually go to to film as opposed to these other places. Most of these other places are just like filmed as these magazine style. I'm just going to tell you some information, just like what we're doing. Right. But I don't know. There's something, there's something that is even with energy, I think is even pulling people to it. I, I, I agree. And I also think it's just the sheer accessibility of places in the Northeast. It's so easy just to, to get to, to drive to. It's not like we're talking about some random place in Utah or Idaho. That's like a really, extremely long drive to you right. fly in to an airport you're there in a half hour you know it's not even that far so yeah it's um it is interesting that so many people will travel there and 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 there's just a gigantic amount of people from that area i mean it, because the density pop the, the population density and all of that but this area is a 200 square mile region in southeastern mass okay and what makes this region special uh, I guess special or where people think that some of the strangeness is coming from are, are two major areas there. There is one called the Hockamock swamp. That's in the center there, that, that little greenish blotch. And then there is the, the Freetown fall river state forest, which is I think more on the Southern side of this triangle. And these two areas, strangeness just seems to revolve around these areas specifically um so the triangle you can see this triangle this is the triangle is made from the towns of abington freetown and rehoboth uh but the name came from there 
because they're they're basically three bridgewaters in the area. There's a west bridgewater, you can see that, uh, a bridgewater and an east bridgewater. So the because of those three areas, they this, you know, the guy who originally came up with the name his name's uh, Lauren Coleman and he came he coined the term in 1983 um, from a book that he published called Mysterious America. Um, and, and this guy, Coleman, has uh, a museum, a cryptozoological museum in Maine now. Um, we probably should stop by there sometime and <clears throat> maybe talk to that guy because uh, it'd be interesting to get his, his take on everything. He's been researching this stuff for so long. You know, you find that <clears throat> these, these, um, the researchers, it's hard, well, you know, it's hard to find an understanding for them on what's going on and being able to relate the phenomena like into one single basket. Um, because this is a place that is beyond understanding based off of, you know, what we've been taught, how we approach these types of locations. It's just a place beyond understanding when you're coming from the conventional viewpoint, you know, the most you can really do is collect the stories and hopefully see patterns within the stories if you're doing that kind of research on it. But, you know, that's there's a true. whole different story with remote viewing. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think what's, what's interesting specifically about the Bridgewater Triangle is because of that population density, we see so much corroboration of some of these reports. But it can also add in a lot of confusion and storytelling into the whole process, too. So it's like this balance of, you know, what is storytelling and people exaggerating versus like what's really going on in the area? And I really feel like this is where metaphysical can get in there and tell some of these truths and maybe in re reveal more of these right. truths than than could normally be revealed. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to listening yeah. to some of that, actually. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, is, OK, so within the whole scope of the Bridgewater Triangle, you have so many different really bizarre stories that start bordering on the evil even, or, or, or interpreted as that. I think the only thing that we can really call evil is when people do the satanic and the Lizzie Borden like area. But, but when you get into the other stuff like puck wedgie and things like that, no, I mean, that's just, it starts to become a human interpretation on it being evil, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it, 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 as far as data goes, it's not an evil area. It's not an evil area. Something totally different going on there. Really? You don't think about like the stories, like the stories of it's cursed. How many times do we hear of a location being cursed because of a Native uh, American, Native Indian war or like Skinwalker Ranch, right? It's cursed by Skinwalkers because the Utes and I think the Navajo uh, were at odds with each other, right? Right. So we have these, these, these mythological containers that people will place them in. Um, but those are never the reason. They're not, they're not cursed. Um, the, the Bridgewater Triangle area is not cursed by the natives. And it's really interesting to me, like culturally, how do those stories take over? Well, probably because um, somebody was angry at the end of the war and, you know, I put a pox on you kind of thing, right? But at the same time, it becomes this explanation for it because it, it's a mysterious thing that is happening there and it just becomes the explanation for, for it. But 
there was stuff going on there way before, way, way before that war even occurred. So. Yes. And actually, that this just so the Hockamock Swamp, for instance, where a lot of this activity takes place, this was an Algonquin word, a very old phrase for place where spirits dwell. Right. So before oh, all of this happened, exactly. they had already named that swamp place where spirits dwell. Like that's you know, such a good point. Yeah. And the the only thing that I can compare this to is like the dead marshes in in Lord of the Rings, kind of. Uh, do you remember that whole scenario? Like, so. Oh man. Well, on the way to Mordor, right there, they have to go through these marshes, and the marshes were a place where this ancient war had existed, and all of these spirits were dwelling in the water from having perished in, in the swamps or the marshes there. Now, could is that the case here? I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it's a swamp. You have a bunch of water in the area. A lot of the activity is coming out of here. The Native Americans called this place where spirits dwell. Was there an ancient war here from a long time ago or something that has kind of like activated the area into strange activity that even that even translates into a lot of crime in the area? There is a lot of crime in some of these um, in some of these cities or towns in that area. Uh, oh, yeah. You know. I mean, it's it's apparent by the satanic uh, controversies that happen there, too. It's like 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 there is a I don't know. So evil or not evil. It's the interpretation that humans do on these things, as well as an energy to use for their own purposes. I think that's the whole satanic side personally. But it's yeah. like, you know, it's it's like people turn things into these things whether through their words or the connection of their intention with the energy. But if you left it all alone energetically, what would it be? Well, it would be the place where spirits dwell. Because when you go into um, um, native people's myths and legends about areas, uh, that's, that is usually the explanation. It's, mm. They usually have the correct explanation for things. But our current system looks at their writings and 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 story stories passed from generation to generation which is an art form and people are trained in that um to pass down culture and history they look at that as being mythological most of society looks they look at that as being mythological and nothing necessarily informational based but i mean i found that native american native indian writings are like information based a lot of it is information based if you know how to look at it right so that's an interesting thing and so what they are saying where it's where spirits dwell is absolutely what it is but it could be any kind of spirit and one spirit can be good it's like you're walking down a dark alley one can be indifferent and one can be really bad which one are you going to run into mm, good question yeah. So, um, the there's you know the I think the strangest thing about this area is that we were we were we said this a couple of times, but I want to list out the activity that's in this area because what makes yeah. this area unique, more unique even than the Bermuda Triangle, because the Bermuda Triangle you get weird time slips. There's just something there's something strange going on, like disappearing ships, disappearing 
planes, but not not much beyond that, like like time disturbances or different kinds of disturbances. It doesn't really go far beyond that. But here we have really, really solid UFO sightings. Could be military, could be something else. We don't know. Ghosts and apparitions, right? Na Native American, like these Native American wars, uh, cemeteries that are haunted, houses that are haunted, uh, spirits in the forests, phantom light orbs. There are strange stories of um, like a ghost truck, uh, separately a redheaded hitchhiker, um, like specifically a redheaded hitchhiker, which is really it's really bizarre and specific. There, there's sightings of uh, of of giant dogs, maybe Dogman, um, Bigfoot, lots of Bigfoot sightings, Puckwudgies and strange creatures. Super weird name for those Puckwudgies, but this goes back like centuries. You know the lore around these creatures. Thunderbirds, giant birds, giant snakes and cats. Um, satanic cult worship, of course, that we mentioned, serial killing, Lizzie Borden stuff, the Taunton State Hospital. Um, I mean, we're talking about haunted hospitals there, even, you know, so there is an enormous amount, but it all like a lot of the, the conversation, especially like within the Native American what we were just discussing within the native American part of this story is that the King Philip's war now King Philip was not a Westerner. This was an Indian um, chief who had, he was renamed King Philip by Westerners. And um, he, this war was one of, was considered, you know, basically percentage wise, the bloodiest war in, in American culture in terms of like, how how many people were involved in that area and how serious it got between the natives and and the settlers in yeah, that it was area. supposed to be like the bloodiest war uh in the americas i guess yeah i guess that would be like per capita of people right exactly yeah yeah, yeah so um gosh i mean we, we have uh there were, i don't know john i would like to get your take on this there in in the documentary the bridgewater triangle a guy, Christopher Balzano, is being interviewed and he starts talking about the Wampanoag chief and how the, the belt was basically taken from the Wampanoag chief. You can see the belt there on this picture. And he's mentioning this and all of a sudden they start having tech difficulties. The lights go out and you can hear him kind of like exclaim in the background. And then the lights come back on and the guys, you can hear the guys talking to him, telling him what happened. Like as soon as he said something about, you know, the native Americans and stuff. And he says, Hey, he says, if I could give you your belt back, I would, but I can't. And then right away the lights go off and everybody was like, Oh my God. Right. Right. It, it seemed to be a strange paranormal experience they were having on the, um, on the, in the documentary. And what's strange is the director of the documentary is a complete skeptical guy. Like he, right. he doesn't believe 90, he, he doesn't believe 98% of, I think what, what's in this documentary that, that he's published, but he's trying to give it a voice because it's such, such strange stuff. Right. Right. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that, the, uh, I mean, so you think about the power of the item and that belonged to the King and, the energy 
around it, the energy imbued in it. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've viewed things or held things and I could feel the energy and I could tell the story of what it was that had this thing and, and, and then compare it to historical information and it being correct. Now, now put something on top of that, that destroyed a people that destroyed a people in a war and everybody revered him and looked up to him. Now place that in an area where the veils open and close, open and close, open and close. And you're going to have a lot of spirit activity doing a lot of things. Bottom line, not just earth-based passed on spirit activity, but activity that comes from another dimension. Mm. So, I mean, when I saw that particular incident in the video, I thought, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense because man, you got to, you got a direct line into another world in that area, as I'll tell you later with remote viewing data. Very interesting. Yeah. So also in the area is so much more history than I think anyone is willing to accept. Uh, the Dighton Rock, perfect example of that. That's where, a neat one. Yeah. Yeah. No one even knows who was responsible for the etchings on the rock. And, and the theories for who wrote on this rock are, are schizophrenic, <laughs> to be honest. They're all over the place. Like, no one even knows. Now, you can't see it maybe from this angle. Or no, you can see it, actually. You have to look close. On the right side, you can see there's, there's engravings or etchings on the rock, rather. And um, now, some people think that these were prehistoric natives. Another theory is that Norse Vikings put these markings on the rock. Another theory which is completely different are Phoenicians that placed their markings on this rock. And then the final and more modern um, theory is that the Portuguese, when they were traveling around, came here and put markings on, on this rock. Right. I think um, it's weird. It's like, there's a lot of controversy around it and, and certain camps fall into certain areas with it convinced they know. And the reason why is because a lot of these markings are very, um, you can interpret them anyway from any culture. And that's right. the big problem with it. So, but I think, I think, okay, so we, I've never viewed the rock, but immediately when I looked at it, my, like my intuition, my gut went right towards um, prehistoric natives that went into when the giant cultures were here. Really? So, that's what that's where my gut went. So it went towards like native prehistoric natives and intermixed with with giants, the giants from the mounds of America kind of thing. Oh, so, cool. Right. So that's that's what it was. I mean, that's what it, it, it felt like to me when I looked at it. Like I say, we haven't remote viewed it. So, you know, I'm just I'm just talking out my, you know. <laughs> yeah i mean these are these are like your off the off the cuff you know understandings on it right well, okay yeah but go back to my shoop. you know who my shoop was oh i thought you were literally talking about my shoop. <laughs> oh you, well i am talking about my shoop. <laughs> no man, no my who, shoop. who was who was that my shoop was someone that the native uh peoples in that area revered the ones that that um that got into the Wap Wapanoags, right? I think they, they were the ones that revered Mashup and the Pukwudgie, they didn't like him. The, the reason why is because the natives liked Mashup better than the Pukwudgies. Anyway, 
my shoop was a giant. Whoa. My shoop was a giant. And the natives were interacting with giants as they are. Like, but, I mean, but you, there, there's a long history of this too. I mean, the natives have stories about interacting with giants. Do they not? Absolutely. They do. Like many native cultures do have this. This is why it's like, I like to look at the native writings about certain areas to find out what they say, because you can find similar information throughout different native cultures across the United States. So it's like, it's like the, um, uh, what, I can't remember the name of the tribe in the Mount Shasta area. Uh, anyway, there was a book written like in 1906 by a native American woman. She learned how to read and write. She changed her name to Lucy Thompson and because she married a Western doctor, um, a white doctor. And she wrote a book to basically lay out the history of her people for her people. And she wrote it in English. And in this book, stories that have been passed down to her, one of the stories was about giants. And she said that once they crossed, I, I think she called it the land bridge, and that would be, you know, through Siberia or whatever, mm -hmm. 12,000 years ago or so, um, they came across different tribes here. One of those tribes was giants and the giants used to go after them and eat them right so you find these stories like throughout many 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 native cultures and even on the east coast with bashup so oh. i always follow those stories and then For you have sure. archaeologists and anthropologists who are arguing about it they're like no it's this no it's that no. why doesn't somebody go ask one of the native peoples well they won't talk to you anymore because Everybody else has completely denigrated their information and those people, which drives me crazy mm. because they're a huge source of amazing information. Well, and also, I just I think it's. It kind of drives me crazy a little bit that this form of storytelling is so criticized in today's modern world where it well, hey, guys, it worked for thousands of years. I mean. Right. And even even when it is written down, it's criticized sometimes if if the if the explanations cannot be explained. I mean, we have so many books like that as well. But the but the the Native Americans who were so close to the land and these stories like what they understood, my this is my understanding is that when when a hit when a history would would take place there would be a higher meaning behind why it happened and that this is to be passed down so that you, our ancestors can learn from our history and our mistakes and or our successes. And that should be celebrated, I think. And well, there was always the storyteller in the, in, in, in the tribes, the person that information was passed down to, and that person was trained like they're all trained to relate it exactly as it was told to them without embellishment. So there was, there was literally a lifetime of training to be able to, to do this, then pass it on. And, and that's how it worked. You that, know? Sounds, it was a job. that sounds so much more credible than even people now who just basically go off of their emotions and criticize things based on their own understandings and right. whether they believe something or not, you know? Right. It, like the culture has changed over hundreds of years because human beings keep adding in their two cents to things when they shouldn't, you know, like, right. can you avoid that? I don't think you can, but 
if if somebody in a culture is being trained to add things in without embellishment and that's a sacred and that's a sacred duty uh, you know i it may not change very much over over thousands of years yeah exactly you know otherwise we get we get the telephone game where where it completely changes from what the original source was and you know you can't have that um when you are trained to relay historical information so it's just yeah i mean it was a job i don't know it was a job well you know i've got some information here i want to share with you and i want to get your uh i want to get your your insights on this so you know we've been in multiple in multiple episodes we've talked about how important water is and how it holds memory right um and what we found is is something interesting because the the Hakamak Swamp, the the boundaries of the Hakamak Swamp basically um, include approximately sixteen thousand nine hundred and fifty acres in this southeastern part of of the state. Now the wetlands, they kind of act as like um, uh, it's a huge water reservoir as you can imagine, right? And they serve basically as the headwaters for um, the town river, which flows into the Taunton River. Okay, the wetlands um, and these floodplains, they're, they're connected um, hydro hydrologically with an extensive underlying system of medium and high yield aquifers. So there are three public water supply wells lo located in this area. And, um, and, and so a, like people are drinking from the water that's coming through these swamps. And so the swamp being the center point of all of this activity, the water actually coming down into these wells, very interesting. Now, according to the Massachusetts Historical Commission, uh, the archeological sites in the vicinity of this wetland complex are known to span a period of 9,000 years. Oh man, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's old for this. Wow. Very old. Well, well, you know that that um, as far as the construction of pyramids go, a lot of pyramids were originally like built on aquifers, zones where um, you find that there's water moving underground um, because of the amount of energy that it creates. A ton of energy it creates tons and tons and tons of energy. Um, so when you get to this area, you know, what you've got is like, okay, so as far as data goes, okay, so this is the big question that everybody's asking themselves. Why is it, why is it that there is a very concentrated paranormal activity in the area? You know, what's the reason for this? Is it because of the King Philip's war and it's cursed? Right. You know, what, what's going on? Like, is there a, a meteorite under the ground is just really <laughs> i don't know i mean or is it like uh did the satanic people open a door or what i mean you know what is it so when we viewed when we viewed it what we have is like what you're going towards it's it's got to do okay so the data like specifically described this natural rocky area there's and there's a lot of water flowing there's tons of water flowing as we know especially in that marsh area, which is really where a huge concentration of it is. I was going to say, it's but like it, a center point, right? It seems to be a center point. Um, it seems to be a center point. So we get these large slate 
like rocks, very large slate like rocks that have got um, uh, like a piezoelectric charge to them. Um, they've got crystalline structures in them. And then we've got magnetic anomalies caused by this, by water moving and the, the piezoelectric electricity energy, mag magnetic energy, it's creating these pockets of magnetic anomalies um, throughout the whole area. And so now underneath all of this as well are caves, tons of caves. Um, I don't know if people have found them. I'm sure, I'm sure people have found some, but a lot of them are, are, are really hidden. And tunnel systems underneath that whole area. Really? Caves and tunnel systems. Yeah. So, yeah, are, so water is flowing through a lot of these. Oh. Right. And so there's a ton of energy that's being created. You know, you get hauntings. It's always going to be where there's water, you know, and all that we've spoken about with hauntings. I mean, this is relational. This is all relational. Um, so there's a this really strong energy within and outside of the landform there. Like it's inside of it, it's outside of it. And so, so beings in the data are, are like literally descriptions of beings phasing in and out of another reality in this area. They're literally phasing in and out. They can, they can come into this area and they can retreat back to another area. Um, the beings in general, they move through what was called a veil and they mostly want to stay hidden. Um, so what we're talking about here, what we're literally talking about here is the world of the Fae. The Fae, right? So it's like the, you're talking about Fae comes, fairies comes from Fae, right? So yeah, this, but this term. not just fairies, right? Not just fairies, leprechauns, gnomes, trolls. We're talking about the, the world that we often ascribe to like the British Isles or, or Great Britain, like the Fae live there, fairies are there. That place right there is another gateway, another bridge into another reality. Now, I truly believe that in the past here on Earth, different beings interacted with humans. Like the, that realm, that parallel reality that fairies live in, that the fae, I just call it the fae because it's like a whole grouping of different types of beings. They spent a lot of time over here on this, on this side. Now, as humans started to shift and change and get bigger, they, they ventured back into their old realm. And so they spend most of their time there, sometimes coming through over here in those areas where they can get through. And that's one of the areas they can get through. Now, Bigfoot, I mean, nobody likes to go into the paranormal side of Bigfoot. In fact, a lot of the researchers out these days, out there these days on the Bigfoot phenomena really tend to stay away from the paranormal aspects of Bigfoot. But isn't isn't Bigfoot by nature paranormal? It is. Well, you know, you, you would you would you would hit a lot of contention on that point in the research community because a lot of people want it to be <clears throat> blood and bones, solid physical 3D being oh, which why it can't is it be, why yeah it is it is but it's also from that other realm so one of the reasons why people don't see bigfoot all the time while it's so hard to get evidence is because it's like the, the fae it's for, comes from the fae realm and others so 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 this area like the bridgewater triangle area is literally the heck is that Lindsay? yeah what is that <laughs> <laughs> 
looks like it looks like a it looks like a, a, a gift being given to Data from Star Trek. It's from the show The Magicians. I guess this is how they've translated them into fays or fairies and magicians. Yeah. yeah. And so some of these some of these beings can be very trickster like. And some of them can be fine, totally fine. It just depends who it is you run across. But yeah, the Bridgewater Triangle, like our data describes this place as uh, a, a place where such a concentration of earth, earth energy because of the water and the way it's flowing over and through the rocks as well as the caves um, that it's causing a basically a hole in dimensions, basically this hole that these beings are coming in and out of. Um, and if they do stay physical, if they do stay to, decide to stay in the physical realm, they mostly stay in the caves. So, yeah, you know, so it's not it's not a curse. Like we didn't get a curse. We didn't get anything like that. So so I find this area fascinating from that standpoint. You know, what's now, interesting. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Finish, finish up. Well, I'm just thinking like how do you like everybody's like beating around the bush and trying to figure out what this is. But once you know what it is. How do you find the place where they go in and out? Yes. Right? Yes. How? How? <laughs> I'm we're going to have to say that here. We're going to have to go there and 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 maybe dabble in that ourselves. But <laughs> like, I have... literally, if I said that here, we would have like, I don't know how many people go and disappear after listening <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, probably safer not to do that. Lindsay, can you pull up a picture of Pangea? This is, I think this is really interesting because what, what I'm a firm believer that things are not just named things for no reason. And, and it's of course, obviously on the surface, it makes complete sense that new England would be called new England. Right. But if you look at, right. if you look at new England, you know, it's like, it's very close to where Britain is or that land mass, if they were all connected. Oh, that's interesting. Thought. Yeah. So could it be that there, when, when, if Pangea was real, if all of these things moved apart from one another, right. Maybe there was even something else in the center there that could have been Atlantis. I don't know. Or if all of this was Atlantis collectively and it all just moved apart and then the center became a gaping hole where the, where the ocean came in fine, whatever. But the fact that that, all that landmass, this like Middle Earth, whatever you want to call it, was all connected. And you're talking about the fact that New England shares this same sort of um, it's the same land almost. The same well, land no, it looks like it's yeah. Africa connected up. Uh, I mean, this is interesting Spain because across, yeah, it looks like it was one big. Well, it was one big continent, so there would have been access. I mean, is, that could be the way the ley lines flow. And this is you just know? one picture of Pangea. I mean, other you, you can you can situate this differently. You know, I mean, doesn't necessarily mean that that it was pointed in that way or whatever. We don't know. But the point right. is that that the 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 mass of land was shared at one time, and I wonder if there's more to that than we're aware of. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of these things are. Well, it's, it's the way, <clears throat> it's the way energy flows through the earth. It's the, and it's then, then it's the localized, you know, I call them telluric energy or ley lines. <clears throat> and it just sounds like a new age kind of term, but, but in our data, we see a lot of that kind of stuff where yeah. there are truly 
these energetic lines that are like they're a telluric type energy and they, they concentrate and they are an electromagnetic kind of energy and they do concentrate and the areas where they do concentrate and cross over areas that have like um, a lot of other earth energies like water flow and piezoelectricity, you get a ton of uh, energy flow. And those are the areas yes. typically where we see the breaks, the breaks in like reality where there's more paranormal phenomena happening. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's so interesting because I have this theory that, you know, physics is now based on a few different things. Like it's, it's electromagnetics, it's string theory, um, it's the theory of relativity or the three major theories that they're basing everything else off of. Right. But I almost wonder if the other two parts of physics were sort of added in because electromagnetics can explain so much. Electromagnetics, if, does, we, if, we, right? if we look at Nikola Tesla, you know, and, and you really look at what he was getting at with what he was doing and how close he got to answering so many scientific things, electromagnetics can pretty much explain all of them. Electromagnetics takes the mass and the, and the relativity, this theory of relativity out of the equation where you can directly do things that would take a, an enormous mass the way that Einstein was was theorizing it, right? You know, a wormhole can only be created in Einstein's theory of relativity by throwing a gigantic mass, creating a black hole, and then you're, you're basically coming out the other side of another black hole that's been created somewhere else. You know, obviously it's all theoretical. What if electromagnetics could do these things much easier? And therefore, if if that was, if, if this was realized, you know, I mean, because t if you really go into the rabbit hole of Nikola Tesla and really look at some of the things that he invented and said, it, it would appear that electromagnetics can, can basically um, account for most of the things that they're, they're debating about in the scientific community right now. Yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. I think I think that's a huge key to this because whenever you get into these zones, there is an electromagnetic energy that's present caused by the movement of Earth energies. Um, well, it, well, and, and electromagnetics really relate so much to frequency, and, right. and and frequencies themselves can do so much. And then you've got all of this energy, like you said, pouring through this area, doing different things. Well, of course, there would be more activity in that area. Right. If of course, there would be. Right. Yeah. And, 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 be, and it's not just like the realm of the Fae. It's like other realms, too. It's, it's, and I don't even understand how these things bridge to multiple different realms, but they do in that area. They do in that area. So that's why you have UFO sightings there, too. Hmm, which we'll be getting into in episode three a little bit more, but I think we're uh, we're coming to a close in this episode, and in in our next episode, we're actually going to get into much more about the free the Freetown Fall River State Forest, the satanic cult activities that have gone on there, the murders and the and the and the ghosting in that area. The and by ghosting, I mean the ghosts in the area, the hauntings in the area. Um, so definitely check us out 
And uh, there's a whole lot more coming. This is the first time we're doing a uh, four-part <laughs> series on something because there was just too much to talk about. Yeah, John, thanks so much for uh, for being here. Uh, is there anything else spectacular that you wanted to close with before we... Uh... <laughs> oh, man, you set me up. No. <laughs> nah. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, um, thanks so much for being with us and uh, stay tuned because very soon we're going to be publishing part two all about the satanic cult activity in the Bridgewater Triangle area.